Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much for joining us this day. We have a a fun-filled and exciting morning for you. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of our pastors here. And uh, before we invite um, some missionaries from Mali to come up and join us, I want to just give a couple of, of words of why we do what we do when it comes to being people who desire that the name of Jesus would go forth throughout the world. Um, our church for many years, many, many years, has had the privilege of partnering with missionaries throughout this world. Uh, we've partnered with them on pretty much every continent, pretty much, close maybe, um, <clears throat> but through a variety of, of organizations and a variety of instances. And so, like, we partner with someone who's a pilot in Alaska who seeks to, to disciple people to follow Jesus. We, we partner with people who have been in the medical field. We partner with people who are local indigenous um, missionaries to their people in their country of origin. We partner with people in North Africa. We partner with people in um, Asia. We partner with people in all sorts of places. We send short-term trips, and why do we do this? Why do we do this? We do this because the Scripture calls us to take the name of Jesus everywhere. When, when Jesus leaves his commission for his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so our purpose of global and domestic mission involvement, because not only do we go out, we have numerous people both within the states and even within this county and this city that we partner with for sharing the gospel. This comes from a conviction that the gospel must be shared within our community and throughout the world. Our calling and our responsibility to share Christ exists not just in our city, not just in our families, but throughout the world. And Jesus leaves another promise with his disciples. Acts 1.8 records it for you. It says, he says, you'll be my witnesses. He's talking to the apostles and disciples there. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And he tells them to go throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel. And so that is one of the many, many reasons that we desire to be a part of world missions. And I want to invite you um, for a moment, if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 comes after Romans chapter 14, which is really, I know, right? (laughs) Romans chapter 15 comes at the end of a book where Paul is addressing a largely Gentile and Jewish church. They're a church that he hasn't been to visit yet, but he hopes to come visit them soon as he travels that way. He's taken the gospel as far as Greece and up the side of, of, of that Adriatic Sea. But he hasn't gone everywhere, but he hopes one day to go to Rome and to eventually go to Spain. And in Romans 15, verse 14, says this. Um, I won't ask you to stand this morning. Normally we stand for our reading, but stand in your hearts, if that makes sense. Know that this is the word of God that we read. My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you are also full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given to me by God. He has written them, 
he hasn't been there, but he's written to correct a couple of things and to provide, to provide some guidance for this church uh, in Rome. But one of the amazing things about this group of Jesus followers in Rome is that they're also able to instruct one another. They have a, they have a growing congregation there. In verse 16, he says this, he says, uh, given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. He, he highlights a certain word here, and it's minister, all right? The, the word minister in Greek uh, comes from a word which originally referred to someone who voluntarily gave up himself through time and resources to serve the gods, all right, it has a pagan context, but it can also have a Christian context. It means that someone found great pleasure in giving up of their resources, of their time, of their wealth, to say, here, I'm going to do this on behalf of my city, or I'm going to do this on behalf of this God. And Paul says, I'm a minister. I've given up of myself, of what God has given me, because I've been called to something. He's essentially saying that he has given himself with great purpose and joy for the cause of Christ to bring honor and service and worship to God. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, we began a sermon um, series in the book of James, which we'll resume next week. Um, but the first thing we looked at was James, servant of God. To be called a servant of God or to call yourself a servant of God means that Christ increases in your life and you decrease. That your priorities and my priorities become that which of what would advance God's kingdom and God's name here on this earth. Not my name. And Paul gives a little bit of his purpose for why he writes this letter. He says, my purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Gentiles were people who were separated from God. They were separated from God from sin. And of course, Jews were separated from God from sin. It's only through the Messiah Jesus that you can come and you can have life and healing and hope in his name. But he says, God has given me a special calling to go to the Gentiles and to make known the name of Jesus the Messiah to people who have not heard it. So his purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, verse 17, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would dare not say any for I would not dare say, say anything except what, what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. Now, what he's saying is, what you have seen happen, it's not of me. It is a work of God's spirit. Paul, although he's brilliant. You know, in Philippians, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, with regard to the law, faultless. All these things, he says in, 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 um, in Philippians, he says, I count all those accomplishments of my life as dung compared to the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And here he's saying, I, you may think I have all these things, but the only thing that has created any sort of spiritual growth is the power of God working in me. Christ has accomplished this. But he says, as a result, this is halfway through verse 19, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. So, not only does God work through him, Paul has also been faithful to what the Spirit has called him to do. 
You might remember the part where they're getting ready to go into one region, and they say, God, do you want us to go in this region? And he actually says in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit did not give us permission to go there. And we waited until the Holy Spirit gave us permission to go here, because that's where he wanted the message to be taken next. My aim, Paul says, is to evangelize, is to preach the good news of Jesus, is what that word means, um, where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And so Paul does not desire to boast in himself. He does not desire for the, for the miraculous signs and wonders to be something that people would go and say, look at Paul, he's so great. Everything Paul does, he wants people to look at Jesus. He wants his whole life to be marked by what the Holy Spirit would do through him instead of what Paul could do in and of his own strength. And as I was thinking about this a little bit this past week, we sometimes live in that tension as well, do we not? Sometimes we live as though effective ministry begins and ends with us. Effective ministry certainly involves us. When God has called us to do something, we're called to hear, to shema, to listen, to understand, to obey. But it doesn't end with us, nor does it begin with us. Like Paul, God invites us to be obedient to sharing the gospel of Jesus because truly effective ministry, no matter the context, occurs when we are obedient to God and we serve for the glory of Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Practically, it means that the word of God takes center stage in our life. We we, we seek to hear from God and not just go on our own. It, it, It means that our agenda, my agenda, becomes secondary to what God wants. It means that God might put opportunities in my path where he says, here's how I want you to serve me, and I go, really? He goes, yeah. And by faith and with the power of God's Spirit, I say, okay, here we go. It means that we pursue, pursue wholehearted obedience to God. And it, and it means this. It means yielding our desires to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives. Yielding our desires to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives. It's told of the great um, and famous American evangelist D.L. Moody that when he, one time he came to a meeting and he heard a preacher say this, he said, if only one man would give himself entirely and without reserve to the Holy Spirit, what that Spirit might do with him. It says, Moody said to himself, why should I not be that man? Why should I not be the man that the Holy Spirit would use to further his kingdom in this way? All the world knows what the Spirit of God did with D.L. Moody. One writer says, it's when we stop thinking of what we can do and begin to think of what God can do that things begin to happen. Thinking about what God can do, not about what Jeremy can do. I want to ask you a question and invite our our friends to come up this morning. Do you think about what you have to do or what you can do, or are you consumed with what would bring glory to God? What would make the name of God famous in your life and in your context and in this world? Would a prayer of yours today be, God, use me for your glory? I don't know how that will look for you 
we're, we're going to talk with Jeff and Heidi for Z this morning. We're going to hear their story in part about how God has called them to Molly. But your story, though different, is still important. Because God places you and I in context each day where people need to hear the message of Jesus. It might be sharing Christ with someone who's at the store. It might be using kindness or generosity as a way to, to um, begin a conversation about Jesus. I, I don't know how God will use you. But will you say, God, here I am. Use me for your glory. I want to pray together, and then I want to invite Jeff and Heidi to come up here. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity is to have Jeff and Heidi and their family here today. We pray, God, that as we hear more about their ministry in Mali, that we would know better how to pray for them, how to better support them. But most of all, God, um, we would better understand throughout the course of our time how your spirit is leading us to involve our lives in sharing the message of Jesus with those in our world. Those, God, who are broken, those who are hurting, those who need encouragement, those who need life, true life, not life that just exists in this space and time, but life that goes beyond this world. God, we thank you for your presence here with us. Lead and guide us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jeff and Heidi, where you be? I haven't. There you are. Okay. It's really weird when you're standing up here and you're looking for someone because it just, it's weird. Um, you don't find them as quickly as you might hope. Jeff and Heidi, come on up. We'll go ahead and move these over. This is so that we can be more comfortable and, uh, and have a conversation. Have a seat. Have a seat. So, Jeff and Heidi, welcome to First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church, say welcome, Jeff and Heidi. Yay. Good to see you guys again. Uh, you too. Thanks for being here. Um, just a couple words, and then we'll, we'll launch right into it. So, Jeff and Heidi are missionaries in Mali, West Africa. Go West Africa. And they're with World Venture. Um, they work in church planning and disciple making. Um, they are currently on furlough in the U.S. Furlough, for those of you who don't know, is after you've been overseas for a good period of time, it's nice to come back and see family and to kind of rejuvenate, see supporting churches, uh, have other meetings with other churches. It's a, great, it's a great time, but also a difficult time in different ways. And so our missions team here at First has been in conversation with um, Jeff and Heidi for several years, uh, praying for the, for the right time and if God would lead us to partner with them. And so part of our interview and part of their ministry presentation during the Adult Bible Connections Hour is to give you an opportunity to get to know them. It's to, to ask questions and to engage with their ministry and what God is doing through them. And, and they're headed back to um, Mali in June, I believe it is, right? Lord willing. Lord willing, yes, amen. Um, so in June, Lord willing, they're headed back to um, Mali. But we wanted to be, to be able to have them in here and have you guys get to know a little bit about them and us to get, a little, get, us to, get to know about them a little bit more uh, before they head back for the next several years. And so... Thank you so much for joining us today. So um, let's just kind of start basics. Um, would you guys just share your personal um, experience of coming to know Christ as your Savior? How, how did you come to know Jesus? Give us a little bit of your story. Whoever can go first is fine. Um, 
We were both raised in Christian families, um, so I'd, I always had an understanding of the gospel. Um, my first recollection of kind of a personal appeal to God was um, shortly after my grandma had taken me to a double feature. The first one was Never Ending Story, and then the second movie was Gremlins. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> later that night, I was taking a shower, and if you know about Gremlins, that's like the worst place to be. And, uh, <laughs> and I had a heartfelt cry for God to, to rescue me. Like, you know, this, so at that age, it was just my understanding that he's your one appeal, you know. Yeah. And um, a few years later, I want to say, uh, we, were, we had been living in New York for most of my memorable life and moved to California. And um, I think I was about eight. And... Uh, that was my, that was the time when it was my heartfelt appeal that, um, that Jesus would take my life and do with it as he pleased. Um, Amen. Yeah, because I understood that I couldn't. Thanks. Um, for me, um, I grew up in a missionary family overseas. My um, parents were with MAF. Uh, my dad was a pilot and um, I heard God's word. We did uh, devotions um, as a family, and when, um, when I was four, um, I asked to pray because I wanted to have Jesus in my heart and live for him. Um, and so I grew up that way, lived that way, knowing that, that um, I was God's child. Um, and then in my teen years, I started to exercise that freedom of you get to do what you want and you'll be forgiven. And um, when I was... Um, I'd say 16, 17, we were, we were back in the States, and I realized, you know, that's not good enough. You know, I need to live for God to, to be the child he wants to be, not just exercise freedoms and ask for forgiveness, but um, just to give my life completely to him. And at that time, I was baptized um, here in Grand Rapids at Calvary, Calvary Church. So that was when I said, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, God. This is, this is your life. That's a big prayer when you start praying praying that way because you have no idea sometimes where the Lord is going to lead you and even sometimes in the middle of saying God I don't know if I want to do that God begins to change your heart and say here's what I have for you so, so Jeff you mentioned that you you grew up in the States talk a little bit more about how um, God used your experiences in the U.S. to prepare you to move to West Africa that's kind of just a, a big move for many people uh, yeah so we met at Moody, we, uh, and uh, I don't know what it was. The first, the, it was at the first missions conference anyways. They set aside a week at Moody um, where you don't go to classes. It's just a focused time so to learn about what Scripture says about being involved in missions um, and to learn different ways that you could be engaged in that. Um, and so Heidi and I are sitting next to each other, not official yet, but already heading that direction, you know, <laughs> and uh, passing notes. And she already has the experiential uh, understanding of the necessity to go where God sends you. I have the knowledge, but not the experiential understanding of it. And, and as we're passing notes back and forth, you know, we're kind of discussing this whole thing, like, you know, and I'm saying born in America, raised in America, American church, I know American youth, I know, you know, the, the people I'm growing up with, the ones I'm most equipped to minister to, are in America. I mean, right, it's, it's logic. 
And, uh, and she's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to write this guy off if he doesn't figure it out pretty soon. <laughs> and, uh, but it was through the preaching of the Word in that week that I understood that, um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's Ralph Winters that said, what does he say? The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Mm-hmm. Something, you know, like the, from, from Genesis on, the, the call is to all nations. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying So kind of a similar question for you. So you, you mentioned you grew up in Mali, or not Mali, but West Africa area. Talk about what it's like to grow up in that and then to hear God say, I want you to go back. And you know, it's not the same for every, every person who, who has served overseas, but what was that experience like for you in following God's call back to West Africa? Yeah, so it's growing up overseas is um, exciting. It's wonderful. It's, it's a unique opportunity to, to see firsthand, um, a, have a broad understanding of the world, but it's really hard in a lot of other ways because um, you never fit in. And our, our kids are going through that right now, realizing as they come back to the States, it's hard to fit in here. You go back there, and you're always different there as well. Um, and when when I gave my life to God and said, I'm willing, you know, I realized that, um, that willing to live for him um, was probably going to be going back overseas and that it was okay to never fit in in this world because it's the next world that I'm created for, you know, mm-hmm. going, going to heaven is, is our home, you know, so that gave yeah. me the peace that, you know, I can go back, I can live overseas, and I love the people of Mali. God's given us a love for them, yeah. um, even though it's always hard. Uh, yeah. Living overseas is not easy. So, Just what are maybe one or two of the most difficult things for those of us who are stateside and we don't experience this in the same way? What are, what are one or two of the most difficult things about living overseas um, and serving in that context? Um, I, I think not having people around you that can really hear and understand you, that you can cry out to um, in those moments when you just really want to be understood. When, when you're talking to people in a second or third language, it's just so much harder to, um, to have heart conversations. Um, and so having that kind of lack of fellowship in that way. Um, and then also for me, I, I have a need to get out, to kind of have a peaceful get out and be by myself or get out and, and be with people and just kind of rejuvenate. And there aren't a lot of places to be able to do that. Everywhere I go, there's people, and I always stand out. I can't just go blend in somewhere. Um, yeah. So for me, that, that, that's hard for me. I have to find ways to have that peace. And, yeah. yeah. That's re- oh, it's really challenging, yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Jeff? I, I, I don't experience either one as more difficult than the other, living in America or, or living in Mali. Um, the challenges are nearly opposite as far as, you know, worldly level kind of thing. But I think the hardest thing for me is um, going back and forth between the two. Yeah. You know, like you, you have a purpose and a calling and a striving to uh, integrate yourself into this new culture and this new world, a new way of seeing things. Um, and it's hard and it pays good dividends. You know, it's rewarding. Yeah. Um, 
and then and then you just leave it entirely. Yeah. You know, and vice versa. The amount of time you get to spend here is usually just enough to <laughs> kind of remember the good and and the the relationships you have, and then you leave it entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I I really I really appreciate what you said, Heidi, about having a having an internal perspective on fitting in. Um, sometimes it's easy to think that we, oh, we just fit in, but, but really there's so much of this world that we don't fit in with because our life and our calling as Jesus followers are very different than much of the world around us. Um, um, as you think about how God had led you through your time, you know, of course, your upbringing, but also your time at Moody Pastors Conference and God begins to work, how else did God begin to give you a passion and a love for um, serving him overseas in a different context? It's kind of the idea I of I think calling. it was, it was um, we really wanted to, to experience it together and to try it together. And it was through doing that in a one-year short-term experience okay. that God really confirmed um, that that he did create us for that, and he was calling us to that. Um, as Jeff also, we spent our first year of marriage in Mali um, on a short-term um, assignment, and he fell in love with the people as well. Mm. And that it was that time that we realized, you know, that that we one we were willing to go back and and serve there and love those people. And I was it also Ralph Winters that said the. The war mentality, the per, somebody, you're supposed to do the hardest thing you can do. Yeah, he, say, um, he says that he compares the Christian life to a battle, you know, that we, the, the gates of hell will not stand against it, and we, we are the active attackers breaking down the gates of hell, and if, if that's the way we're living, if this life is truly a war, then you live in a wartime mentality. He talks about the, the Queen Mary that could, the ship that luxury ship that could take, I don't know, like a thousand people in, in these totally luxury berths with, you know, beautiful settings and everything. When the war came, they stripped the sucker down and they could get like 10,000 troops in there mm. with the bare essentials, you know, and so he, he encouraged the church to live with the bare essentials. And part of that, he said, was that a decision-making paradigm for, take this church, for example, you know, that each person in this church should do the most difficult thing that they're capable of. Um, say you're capable of organizing the children's ministry, but instead you just sign up on the list to serve in one of the Sunday school classes. Well, not, not only do you leave a hole where you're capable, uh, but you also take the place of someone who couldn't do that, but could, you know what I mean? So mm. that, uh, that was part of our actually the thing that pushed us to North Mali, and we never got there because <laughs> it wasn't God's will. But that was our, our thought. Let's, let's test ourselves. Let's go to the least reached place that we can get to and, uh, and try that. Yeah, and another thing that, that made me think of was that a lot of people will say to me, I could never do what you do, mm. um, and that um, we don't know that. <laughs> I always want to say that's not true. Because if you had told me this is what you'll be doing, um, yeah. you know, with this many kids living overseas, I don't think we mentioned we have 10 kids. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I would have said I could never do that, you know, and God gives you the grace each day for what he asks you to do. Um, so, yeah, never say I, I could never do that. You know, you just walk faithfully one step at a time and, yeah. and he will give you what you need to do the next thing. 
um, even though some days it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I think the calling, the calling too comes in, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing all faithful believers have experienced it on some level, you know, on some level there was a time when you knew you needed to do something and, um, you know, so God built in my heart a desire to be, um, to do something different and other. I'm, I'm terrible at fitting in, you know, I listened to my sister-in-law talk about how she has to do her job as a nurse, you know, and it's like, you you, there's protocol, like, follow, you know, oh my goodness, I would be so bad at that. <laughs> I just, I can't do the same thing two times in a row, like, it, um, but so, so there was that kind of calling. I remember at a thing like this, there was this missionary, Jim Yost, speaking at the church we were attending, and he's like, you know, this bug-eating Papua New Guinea kind of missionary, right? And, and, uh, and he's, you can tell he's kind of trying to, like, shock the audience a little bit, and most of the people are kind of like, you know, and Heidi and I are like, <laughs> you know, and uh, so that, that was a point of transition where we really didn't know um, how God was going to accomplish. We, we had a desire to go overseas. We didn't know how. Um, we, I had school debt, and, and my, it was my idea. I'm going to pay that off, and then we'll, then we'll address missions. But she just kind of waxed me. It's like, what? what are we waiting for? You know, and so that was a, um, that was like a, a confirmation moment for the two of us that it's, it's never a good time to wait to take action on what God's calling you to. Yeah. Waiting on the Lord for provision and timing, that's invaluable. You yeah. know, people, so many times people fall down on that point and try to accomplish it themselves. But as far as um, maybe claiming it, you know, maybe kind of standing up and saying, I think God wants me to foster parent you know, and you've got 10 kids and you make $50 a month or something, you know, you think, well, that's never going to happen. But, you know, claim it in the state. You know, God's given me this good desire. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah. So that, that's, that was kind of how he led us. And then there, I, and there was another moment when this uh, world venture had kind of um, gotten in contact with us and everything. They said, well, come, come out to our, they have like a three-day prayer meeting every year. Come out to that, get to know us as people, you know, not as an organization. And so we did that. And we meet all these missionaries that are just, you know, given their lives and they all need help, you know. And, and Heidi says to me one night when we're laying in bed after spending the day praying with these people, like, are you sure it's Molly? Like, what is it, you know? And long pause, because you got to think about that, you know. And uh, that, that was a moment of confirmation when uh, all the possibilities to be obedient to God in going are laid out before you, and, and you claim that one, you know, and that was, it's always been Molly. Hmm. Hmm. Let's, let's talk, kind of shift a little bit and say, um, talk to us about Molly. Uh, when, we had, when we had lunch in December, you said Molly is 98% uh, Muslim, 2% Christian, 100% animistic. Well, Describe Molly. Describe what, what it's like to serve there. Describe animism and how engaging with that brings challenges with bringing the gospel. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. Um, I'll, I'll take it in degrees. In, in California, where I grew up, it's not popular or helpful to present yourself as a Christian. 
um, it just it it puts you on the outside and it makes you suspect, you know that kind of thing. So if you're going to claim Christ, um, you're you're stating something pretty clear uh, to the people that you're telling. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, it, you it's it's an immediate willingness to be an outsider kind of thing. I lived here for a summer in Michigan, worked with people who were evidently and, <laughs> you know, just definitely not believers, not living according to the word or their love for Christ in any degree. Um, and, at, and at some point, I shared the gospel with the, one of these girls, and she kind of stops and, I know, Jesus, Son of God, died on the cross, raised three days later, paid for our sins. I, I'm a Christian. Like, what, like, what are you talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, in that, so there was kind of that degree where she, in her experience, could use the claim of Christ as to her benefit, you know, mm-hmm. to, to fit in where she wanted to fit in. Um, and then in Mali, there's a whole nother degree where not only, I think Christians and non-Christians in America would kind of fault that girl for being false, mm-hmm. you know, to claim it and then abandon it as you please, you know. Mm-hmm. But in, in Mali, if that kind of thing serves to keep you in a, in a peaceful relationship with your neighbor, your, your push, the, the, the person next to you, you know, then, then you're using it for a good purpose to keep peace among each other. So there's um, that. Which act. wouldn't work with Christianity, but with Islam. Yes, but, but I mean, it's an also, in sharing the gospel, and the positive response you get doesn't necessarily reflect any sort of willingness to be set apart for Christ, right. you know, um, to even more of a degree than I've experienced it in the Midwest, you know, that mm. kind of thing. Um, so it does make it difficult. Now, if they claim Christ to their family, well, that's a whole other thing, you know. Mm. If, they, if they go to their father and mother and say, you know, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm going to live for Him. That well, that will. That's a whole different thing. That's. Uh, but to say it to a missionary, to be involved in a group, especially if they're away from home, mm-hmm. um, is very um, diplomatic. It can be very diplomatic for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you find you have to work in in conversing with people who who are, you know, uh, who who live in Mali and grew up there? in that culture, do you find you have to work through that diplomacy quickly? Or they, they, they see you for who you are, they know who they are, and there's just this, this chasm between the two? No, I don't think they have any idea who we are. Okay. They, they um, you know, they see TV kind of, but there's not, there is no white Western community anywhere around or, um, I just mean as a Jesus follower. As, not, yeah, and not, I not think even. I even went around and did some interviews, and I did interviews, and I, do, I was never more than five miles from a church. Hmm. Everyone I talked to said, they, you know, like, well, what do you think about Christians? You know, like, how are they as people? How do they act? And, like, they all were kind of like, well, I hear they're good. I think, I think I like Christians. They do good stuff. Like, they have programs to help people and stuff, but I don't actually know one. Hmm. That's kind of what everybody would say. Hmm. even people that I interviewed through a relationship with a Christian friend, you know, hmm. they, uh, um, yeah, they, they don't seem to have a real understanding of what, what a Christian is. 
Yeah, I, w I would say with the, um, the relationships with people mm -hmm. that it, it's a time game, that mm -hmm. they, they will be friendly with you, they will be open with you, but it will take a long time for them to really trust you and really believe the things that you're saying. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at, is in those long-term relationships with people, building that trust, um, showing that what we say is what we do, um, mm -hmm. and you know, just living Christ with them is, is our goal and is our, our objective to, to share Christ, um, yeah. because it's not a, those quick decisions aren't, aren't going to be enough for them, aren't gonna sustain them in their, their Muslim families. Yeah. So. And this is in the south of Mali. In the north, there's a lot more um, uh, Islam that's, what is it, with Sharia law, and there's, there's a, lot of, um, a lot of danger, a lot of places where um, even, there's, there's different groups of Islam and they're attacking and moving south and taking over. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're talking about in the south where people are open and friendly even though um, they're living the Muslim faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I th thank you so much for sharing that. So, you know, so much of your life is, is living with people in a day by day kind of walking down. Describe kind of what that looks like for you yeah. guys and, and your family. I think um, as much as I love Ralph Winters and all the, he gives good, uh, what do you call it, kind of paradigm things to work from, but I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of. Um, we are serving such and such a people group. Our target group, you know, is this, or we, um, we work with unreached people groups, this kind of stuff. Like, it's not, it's not bad to kind of cast a vision for you guys who never actually go there. But, I mean, on the ground, living in Mali day to day, um, it's not. It's, well, we work, we work with the people God brings us, you know. Yeah, and it's exactly. not necessarily... Like, you wouldn't, you would, I wouldn't ask... My, my brother-in-law, you know, how do you minister to nominal Christians? You know, I, I would ask him about his neighbor, you know, because that's the guy he knows. I'd ask him about the guy at work, you know, the guy he gets hot wings with on Thursday or whatever, you know, like that. So that's, that's the, our experience is much more that, right? Mm -hmm. So you meet a person, you begin a relationship, and that's when you begin to delve into, do you have any important understanding of Islam? How, did, how does that affect your decision-making, those kind of things? Yeah. Um, and very, very few of them have any grasp of what Islam is other than a community means of keeping peace amongst people because we, we share this common thing. Mm -hmm. But they, very few people know anything about it at all. That's the 100% animus thing. So 98% of Mali will claim Islam. 2% would claim some version of Christianity. Um, but when it's time for your high school exit exams, you're doing a sacrifice, you know, like, because that's, that's kind of at the heart of what you've come to believe, that there are evil forces to be appeased to gain you worldly things or to prevent worldly bad. Mm. That's at the heart of it. Yeah, so our, our daily lives would look like um, we homeschool. Um, Jeff and I both participate in that. Um, we have probably 20 to 30 visitors a day, whether it's somebody coming to sell something, kid, um, kids coming by to talk, pastors that wanna come and talk. Um, Jeff has set up a workshop in our, sort of a garage area where he's hoping to engage young, young men or um, 
boys and girls. He's done some kids clubs there, um, kind of with the goal of um, having an apprentice or really just discipleship relationships where he can yeah. teach some things, help people, um, but build those discipleship relationships. And he's taught a lot of scripture in there and taught some literacy. Um, and then on the weekends, we go out and a lot of times preach at a little village church um, where there is a pastor, but he was gone for a couple years, so we were taking over while he was gone. And he's, um, he does sustenance farming, so he's often really tired during the, the planting and the harvest season, so he's really happy when Je we still come and Jeff can still preach. <laughs> um, so we're, we're there most of the time kind of serving that village and, and his family on Sundays. So that's kind of just a quick glimpse of what our actual day-to-day -day life looks like. Yeah. Lots and lots of people. Lots and lots of people. So for the introverts in the room, we just go, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> God give us if, grace. If you're not an introvert, Molly will make you one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I well, could go on an hour. We have uh, just a couple minutes left, and I know you're, you're going to be presenting more stuff in the second hour. So I really encourage you to come back for that second hour so that you can engage more um, with Jeff and Heidi and, and where the Lord has called them. Um, what are two or three ways that our congregation could pray for you here and today? Good, good question. Um, Okay, so the first one that comes to my mind, well, I guess I got two already. Uh, one is uh, John's chapter 17, huh. which is just rich with Christ's prayer for us. Um, but one that comes, hits again and again and again and again on, on the point of unity. Um, and I think... The Bible even says it, you know. It is, it is the unity of the church, the love that we have for one another, that will make it evident to people that we are children of God. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what, I think that when it comes down to it, that's what's going to draw those people out there who are children of God but don't know it yet, those yeah. ones that have been chosen but not made awake, um, their hearts will be drawn to that. So, and it, and it's, it's not easy for us, you know. The church is... Um, easily divided for, yeah. you know, whatever reasons. So pray for the unity of the church. Um, and the second one, I think about Paul's appeal that he would uh, proclaim the gospel mm. with no shame. Okay. Anything you want to add? Um, you could be praying for our family. You know, this is this has been a difficult adjustment in a lot of ways. Um, and I just pray that God would. Um, show us the ministry he has for us here while we're still here mm. um we're yeah we're, we're still homeschooling this year because of the area we ended up in we're in howard city north of here and it's a little bit out in the boondocks um but that god would just really um give our kids especially a special blessing this year um a, un a unique time of growing in him um we would pray for, for friendships for them. Um, it's been wonderful that they've been able to be with their cousins. They have 10 cousins here um, in, in Michigan, and it's been a blessing to get to know family. So we're thankful for that, but just continued rich times with family, but also that God would just grow them in this time and um, prepare them for going back as well. Yeah. All right. 
So I hope you took a moment just to maybe even write those down. And as the Lord brings you, them to your mind this week, that you'd pray for Jeff and Heidi and this, this adventure and this calling upon their life. And, and that you'd even be prayerful about how would God want you to, um, to be involved in sharing the gospel. Maybe it's not Molly. Maybe it's something else. Um, <clears throat> I, often, I often say it's important for us, at least I say it to myself, it's, it's important for me to be obedient to what God has called me to. Nothing more, nothing less. Not trying to help pace God, but also not disobeying where God might have me go or what God might have me do. And so let's be praying for them right now, and, and let's take a moment here. Father, we thank you so much for today. And we, we join in Jesus' prayer from John 17, where he prays, I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one so that the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And Lord, in a, in a nation, in a culture, even within the church where we're so easily divided, um, divided by differences and divided by things, um, God, we pray for great unity. Unity doesn't always mean uniformity. But for followers of Jesus, it does mean coming around you, our Messiah, and saying, God, what do you want from us? How can we be obedient to your word? And God, how can we walk faithfully in your path? I pray, um, God, that this season of furlough would be one of great um, challenge, but also one of great blessing for them, that this unity would would be very evident in their home and in their family, that this, um, that this time would be one in which they experience great friendships. And God, as you prepare them to go back, um, that you would guide them by your spirit to the right conversations, to the right relationships, people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus and also people who will come alongside them and, and encourage uh, Jeff and Heidi and their family where they are at. Um, we pray for the opportunities that they have to teach their kids, and I pray that these opportunities would be met with great joy, but also that they would instill the word of God passionately into their kids, that their kids might know and follow Christ. And um, God, that you'd give them um, your perfect supply of energy and grace for each day. God, thank you for our congregation here, thank you for the opportunity that we have to get to, them, get to know them uh, a bit better. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom knowing how we can best partner, support, love, and care for them as they um, seek to make Jesus known in another part of this world. God, where we are right now, seated, we're just reminded that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God, that you have a passionate love for the people whom you have created. People from all sorts of backgrounds. People from all sorts of cultures. In fact, God, you remind us that before the throne room of God, every nation, tribe, and tongue, we're, we're, we're gonna be gathered around you, worshiping and expressing our love to you, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory. And we're going to be doing this, God, with people from all over this world. Lord, forgive us for the very 
segmented and segregated ideas and thoughts we have about our lives. God, give us a great passion for these people, each person on this earth whom you have created and fashioned to bring you glory. Give us a passion to to share the love of Jesus with them and to make disciples of all these nations, to baptize and to teach so that the name of Jesus would be made great in their context as well. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Together we say, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.